0: Hello, and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your guest host, Richard Newell.
1: I'm your guest host, Sue Tierney. This episode continues our month-long spin-off series called Big Decisions, the Future of U.S. Environmental and Energy Policy.
0: For today's final episode of our special Big Decisions series on Resources Radio, my co-host and guest is Sue Tierney. Chair of the Board of Directors at Resources for the Future, Senior Advisor at Analysis Group, and an expert in energy economics and many other topics that we cover here at RFF. Hi, Richard. I'm so happy to be here with you
1: on this podcast. Uh, It's great to be with you as my co-host and guest today too. You need no introduction, but let's make it official. You're the president and CEO of Resources for the Future, and you have an extraordinary background in environmental and energy economics. Thank you so much for engaging on these topics with me. So Richard, we've asked this of all of our guests while hosting this special series of Resources Radio, and I'd like to turn the question around on you. How did you end up finding an interest in building a career in energy and the environment?
0: Well, it's... uh... Uh, kind of a funny story, maybe, but uh, in 19, this is 1987, and I was uh, in the process of finishing my undergraduate work. At the time, I was focused on materials engineering and philosophy. I was doing a dual degree in that, and um, I, I recognized that that wasn't where I wanted to spend the rest of my life, and so I was in a, a time of, um, you know, kind of looking at different things and exploring, and it was around that time that there was something called the garbarge, uh, which was a vessel full of garbage. Uh, it was Its name was the Mobro 4000. And um, people may remember that we're around at that time. Uh, it sailed from Long Island and it headed to North Carolina, uh, where it was supposed to be um, you know, disposed of. But when it got there, reporters showed up and it was turned away. And so it basically headed down uh, the east coast of the United States. It was denied entry into Mexican waters um, It went as far as Belize uh, before it came back um, after being rejected at all these places. It headed back to New York and it was eventually uh, incinerated in Brooklyn and then uh, landfilled there. And so I looked at this um, and I looked at other issues at the time, like acid rain uh, and the ozone hole. And I said, you know, this isn't just a technology issue, it's, it's partly that but there's something else going on here. Um, there's the cost of the different options, there's the politics, there's the business, and there's the policy of, of making change happen. And I said, you know, that's, that's for me, it's analytical, it's broad thinking, uh, and it's really important to society. And so it was after that that I became more focused specifically on the economics of climate and energy, uh, policy, technology, and markets, but uh, that's how I got going. That's cool that you were a philosopher.
1: Yeah, it's great. You know. It
0: shows these days. Well, hope, hopefully in, in good ways. So, Sue, so I'd ask you the same thing about your origins, but you've already you know answered the question in an earlier Resources Radio podcast episode um, uh, from last December. So let me ask you a different question, which is uh, related to the presidential transition. So you've been involved on transition teams for a couple presidential administrations and have held you know various roles within the federal government. Can you tell us a funny or favorite personal story from those experiences?
1: Well, I do have a couple of funny stories, but I don't think I should share them on the radio. So they're kind of sketchy. Um, Maybe I'll talk to you about them in private at one point. (laughs) But I would like to share a couple of things about my experience as the co-leader with LG Holstein of the Obama-Biden transition team at the Department of Energy. Based on that experience, I really want to celebrate the peaceful and constructive transition of democratically elected leaders. Uh, You know that this was a transition from the George W. Bush administration to the Barack Obama, Joe Biden administration, and it was of course a change in party. Um, I cannot say enough good words about the transition that occurred at the end of 2008 in the beginning of 2009. It was a very complicated time. You know that the economic crisis was real uh, and deep. Uh, The Department of Energy staff did a great job of handing things off from their prior administration to the next. Uh, We had great briefings. We had great substantive memos. It was extremely cooperative, very responsive information. And I can't point to anything that seemed like angling or caginess or withholding of information, strategic sharing, anything like that. It, it was really great. Uh, that's what we deserve. And I got the privilege of operating in that kind of environment.
0: Sue, so in this uh, in this big decision series on, on the Resources Radio podcast, we've heard from a diverse set of experts and leaders about policymaking and energy and the environment at the federal and state levels. Um, all this had a time when there's intense public interest in the outcome of this year's national and state elections. Uh, We've heard from an established journalist, Amy Harder of Axios. Uh, We've heard from two experts on federal administrative law related to air emissions. That's Jody Freeman from Harvard Law School and a member of Obama's White House Climate Office, and also Jeff Holmstead from Bracewell Law Firm and the EPA under President George W. Bush. We also heard from a veteran state and federal policymaker who's focused on clean air issues over many decades in which the Clean Air Act has been implemented across the states. Um, That's Mary Nichols, uh, head of the California Air Resources Board. Um, And we also heard from the head of a key national trade association that supports communities of color in the energy industry, uh, Paula Glover, uh, who's now head of the American Association of Blacks in Energy, and who will soon lead the Alliance to Save Energy. What a really amazing group of individuals um, who are also experts in their fields. Um, so Sue, do you have any insights about the themes uh, you've noticed, or, or key takeaways that you want to share from from these interviews?
1: Sure, that's a great question. Uh, those were amazing conversations, and uh, not only substantively interesting but very entertaining. Uh, the first one uh, was Amy Harder, and I was really impressed with her interest in moving from Washington, D.C. to the Pacific Northwest um, so that she could focus more on what's happening in the states on clean energy and climate issues. Amy is really smart. She's really dogged and a great, insightful reporter. So I look forward to good things from her in the future. Absolutely. I loved listening to and speaking with Jody Freeman and Jeff Holmstead. Those two attorneys are so so good so smart the conversation on the podcast with them really highlighted the different points of view there are among legal experts regarding what can happen when one uses the authorities of the Clean Air Act Uh, you know that's quite a robust and important law and uh, their experiences in sharing what it can and cannot do in their view was really really important Uh, Mary of course was wonderful to listen to because uh, she described the arc of her career in implementing the Clean Air Act she was there at the beginning uh, one of the early litigants I guess in using the authorities of the Clean Air Act and boy watching her career uh, from state to federal to state government uh, using her policy and political chops and her legal expertise was really important for me on a personal level it was. especially interesting to hear about that i I grew up in southern california it was the smog there that brought me to this field i i couldn't figure out you know how could it be so bad and uh hearing mary talk about the implementation of the clean air act um and the legal tools that it allows was was really great and then finally paula uh paula glover of abe she described Really, authoritatively and authentically and substantively, the challenges that Black professionals and other people of color have faced in influencing policy decisions. Uh, it was great to hear from her. So, Richard, I'd be interested in hearing your answer to the same question. What things struck you in those conversations?
0: Well, I'll just add, Sue, that it was you know a real you know joy and privilege to to conduct the interviews that I did, and also to to listen to the ones. Uh, that, uh, that, that you conducted, really, really interesting set of, um, set of conversations. You know, the thing that really struck me across these conversations was really just how consequential uh, this election will be for environmental, energy, and, and climate policy. Um, it's not just the executive branch and federal regulation and international diplomacy. It's also the Congress, uh, the nexus of federal spending, clean energy, and climate, uh, and of course, you know broader energy and climate policy. Um, it's also the courts. Um, you know, while they're not elected officials, they're appointed by elected officials and have uh, very important effect over time on the uh, implementation and constraints that are placed upon um, environmental energy policy. And it's also state level legislators, uh, governors, and even public utility commissioners. Um, all of this, of course, will affect how business community and the rest of the world also react to what unfolds here in the United States. So this is, you know, to my mind, absolutely the most consequential election in, in our lifetime uh, for future environmental energy and climate policy.
1: Really good points. You know, RFF, as a nonprofit organization, is very careful to not take positions in electoral races or legislative politics around specific proposed bills. Uh, so regardless of the outcome of this election that, that uh, listeners will may, may know about by the time that they hear this podcast, uh, there are some important research questions that may be relevant for what's ahead in the next administration. Uh, I wonder if you share some thoughts that you might have about the, the kinds of questions, research questions that. RFF scholars will be examining and exploring in the future?
0: Well, so regardless of the outcome, uh, RFF will be focused on two major areas where we think we can make a difference in improving environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions. Um, the first is in designing smart emission reduction strategies, and the second is in confronting risk and building resilience. You know, the degree to which we focus on federal legislative, federal executive, state level or international and corporate venues you know that will definitely be affected uh, by the results of the election because you know that'll determine where the action is over the next few years um, you know there's a number of specific questions uh, that we're working on because we think we can have a positive impact um, through our work you know both of in terms of advancing a healthy environment um, and also in terms of you know helping to enable a thriving economy so sue. You know, you have experience in academia and in state and federal government uh, and also in consulting to a wide variety of clients. I also know you're keenly aware of the value of including evidence based information as part of the decision making process by federal and state officials in legislative settings uh, and administrative agencies. So can you comment on the difference that you think it makes for federal and state decision makers to have access to sound economic and policy analysis? Well, clearly,
1: it's indispensable. Uh, I know there's sometimes that people wonder whether or not uh policymakers do rely on uh analytic work uh, but we have to keep trying to get it there and i'm I'm very familiar, especially with executive branch processes where technical information, uh, economic analysis is totally relevant and has been relied upon for the design of state policy, for example. I'm very familiar with the Regi work, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative work that uh, Dallas Bertra and Karen Palmer and other colleagues have done for many years from the beginning uh, of the planning for Reggie design. And that was really helpful. Uh, I'm, I'm very familiar with the analyses that uh, Karen again and Dan Jahan have done on the carbon pricing mechanism in regional transmission organization markets. Uh, you know, Matthew Wibbenmeyer's work on wildfires is going to be really important as states like California consider what policies to implement to address that, you know, increasingly awful climate impact and so there's there's really important work and i'm so glad that rff is at the center of that, but let me ask you the same question, I know. That you served as head of the energy information administration and, even though it's not a policymaking agency. Its work is really important for providing data analyses and other information in the energy domain, so I wonder what difference you think it makes uh, having that kind of high quality data and analysis.
0: Well, so it probably won't come as a surprise to you or anybody (laughs) that I think it's really important. Um, You know, it's interesting, EIA was actually created um, out of the energy crises of the 1970s. And um, what happened at the time, and actually, uh, you know, John Dingell was a key uh, key person involved in these deliberations. Um, At the time, the government basically realized it did not have the data and information it needed about the energy sector to make good decisions in response to the energy crisis. And so it created EIA. It pulled together some other you know, pre existing agencies that, that existed at the time, but then you know, vastly expanded the, um, the investment in collecting data around the energy system so that good decisions uh, could be made. Um, you know, actually, Resources for the Future was created in uh, 1952 for a quite similar reason. This is you know, the Truman Eisenhower era. The country was heading into a period of rapid post-war economic expansion was concerned uh, both about the kind of the resource base and resource availability uh, to support that, and also you know the conservation side of things and the you know, environmental implications of resource use. And so if you look at in RFF's early years, a lot of the work at RFF was actually about just data collection. Um, there's these vast tomes that were created at that time, and this actually predates existence of the EIA that focused on the energy system and other resource use to provide Uh, good information and analysis. Um, You know, when I was at EIA uh, in 2009 to 11, this is a period when the shale gas boom and then the shale oil boom was happening. Folks in industry, the general public, certainly uh, federal and state decision makers were trying to understand, you know, what's happening here? uh, What's the state of play? How do we think it's gonna change into the future? Um, At that time, we also were doing analysis of the Waxman-Markey cap and trade bill um, and Senator Bingaman's clean energy standard, um, and the reason that you know Congress and others turned to the Energy Information Administration is because of the rigor and the independence of that analysis and its importance for uh, informing good decisions. You know, at that time, I also recall you know we built much better data systems on energy consumption uh, and energy efficiency, and also solar energy, which. Um, You know, this is about a decade ago. This is a period when solar energy was really starting to take off in the United States. So, you know, I think all of this is absolutely essential to inform good decisions by policymakers and by the private sector. You know, ultimately actions have consequences, um, but if you don't have good data and analysis, you have little idea of what those consequences might be. Um, You need a good baseline picture of reality and you need a solid understanding of how your actions might change that reality.
1: Thanks. Uh, the great, grid history lesson about those, uh, this, the beginnings of each of those organizations. Uh, and I love the the history of RFF. You know, it's an uh, Eisenhower era organization. I'm an Eisenhower era girl. So it's, yes. it's nice to hear about it. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we don't know who's going to win this 2020 presidential election and who's going to be leading congress as we record this podcast but i wonder if you can comment on any hoped for initiatives or policies from the federal government that you are looking forward to um, either hearing about or advancing uh in the next couple of years
0: well so the you know the big one is is certainly climate change and clean energy um you know and, and and my hope would be for economy wide action to address climate change You know, ideally, that's through a broad-based price on carbon, Uh, and if not, it's through well-designed, flexible policies at the sectoral level that embrace a wide range of technological options and, I hope, harness the power of the marketplace. You know, there's a number of specifics I could go into for specific sectors like power, transport, industry, agriculture, forestry, and land use, but um, let me instead, you know, name a second major area, which is that we really need to do our best uh, to design public policies for economic stimulus and infrastructure investment and technology research and development uh, to advance our economic well-being and environmental well-being at the same time. Um, I think we can do that, but it'll take uh information and some analysis to help steer what could be, you know, historically massive uh, investments. Um, You know, a third area, which we actually touched on earlier, is what I'd call, you know, data for decisions. Um, You know, we need much better information for the financial sector, for communities, and for government and businesses uh, to confront climate risk and and build resilience. And I'll just quickly note um, one final thing um, that I really have to mention, which is the importance of addressing the distributional impacts of energy and environmental policies on workers and communities. Um, this, you know, this relates both to the benefits of environmental protection, so that those benefits are equitably shared, and it also relates to paying attention to the impacts of policies, and also just, you know, normal market and technology transitions, uh, the impacts of those things on workers and communities. You know, we need to do a better job of looking ahead as a country, you know, foreseeing where these transitions are headed, and you know, and help workers and communities prepare for that future. You know, none of this is easy. Um, But I I think it's incredibly important. So what about you, Sue? You know, what policies would you look forward to the most?
1: I have to say I'm pretty focused on that economic stimulus set of issues that you just described. Um, Of of course, I hope that there are uh, policies that address and accelerate action to uh, mitigate the uh, emissions related to climate change. But in the near term, uh, given where we are in the economic crisis, I really hope that there is a clean energy uh, and environmental economic stimulus package coming forward. So I'm focused on that. uh, And I'm focused, like everybody else, on the jobs, the economic development, uh, positioning the economy for the low carbon energy transition. So I hope that Package uh, happens, of course, and I hope that it includes a variety of things that really will be important for that positioning as well as jobs in the near term. Uh, that could be energy efficiency, especially in low-income homes. Uh, we know that there's such a great multiplier effect for energy efficiency investments. It's it's like construction work and it's 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 a great job creator. And those are good, good paying jobs. So that that's a good one uh electrification of buildings that now use natural gas appliances and heating systems that could be stimulated by this package there's a lot of smart grid work that could be done both on transmission and distribution facilities uh, especially on the distribution end there are just so many things associated with control systems processors uh You know analytic things that are going to be needed to be added to the grid to make it handle so much more of uh energy resources that are on customers premises there could be a conservation core associated with tree planting um, incentives for solar and wind uh, electric vehicle charging Uh, half of the customers in the united states do not have advanced meters Uh, we're going to need that in the energy transition finally i think uh I would I would note the importance of economic assistance for communities that are going to be affected or already being affected by this energy transition. So there's a lot to do there, and I'm really hoping that we see action on that pretty
0: soon. Yeah, that's a that's a really important um, list of different options, and you know I, I think we know that you know where things head in terms of you know uh, future stimulus response and investment you know is going to depend upon. Certainly depend upon election outcomes in in part. Um, you know personally, I hope that we learn from the lessons, you know, both positive and not so positive from um, from past experiences where major investments are made in kind of short periods of time. And so, one of the things that we're focused on at Resources for the Future is you know helping to design you know evidence and 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 take advantage of what we know from from past experience about you know what are the best ways to deploy uh, resources to help advance these balls.
1: Well, I think we probably need to turn to our last question, Richard, and this is the famous top of the stack question that all of the guests get asked on Resources Radio podcasts. So what have you read, watched, or heard recently related to energy, the environment, or even the democratic process that you think is really interesting and that you want to share with the listeners?
0: Well, you know, a couple things in in the way of um you know books uh one is the, the new map uh which is Dan Jurgen's latest book uh, it's called the new map energy climate and the clash of nations it, you know builds on uh his you know prior uh very significant books around you know energy and geopolitics uh and environment um and then the other one I'm I'm reading um is a book by Vaclav Smil it's called growth and the subtitle is From Microorganisms to Megacities. And it really explores the notion of growth across, you know, biological, physical, and also, you know, civilization um, and economies. Really interesting book. Now I, I will note that these, one of these books, the Jurgen book is like 470 pages and this meal book is uh 600 and something pages. Um, so it takes a while to get through these, but those are, you know, those are both really interesting books. And in terms of, um, uh, TV. Unfortunately, I finished it, but I'd recommend uh, this Norwegian series called Occupied. Um, if if uh, you haven't seen it, you know it, it depicts a fictional near future where uh, you know due to you know catastrophic climate events, um, Norway's prime minister uh, stops the country's oil and gas production. Um, and announces that there's this new, you know, nuclear thorium reactor that can provide, you know, clean energy at reasonable costs. But um, in the meantime, there's a short-term energy crisis that unfolds. And with the support of the European, Russia invades Norway, occupies Norway to restore the oil and gas production. And it, it's, it's a really interesting series. Um, you know, it's full of political maneuvering, you know, people questioning their personal allegiances, and all with, you know, climate and energy as a backdrop. Uh, So, Sue, what about you? What's on the top of your stack right now? Well, I
1: have two shows that I just want to mention because they were terrific. Uh, These are TV series. One is the Comey Rule uh, that that describes the Comey investigations uh, that were going on, and it it takes the viewer all the way up to the period right before the election uh, four years ago. It's very interesting and well done. Uh, similarly, I, I really loved seeing The Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, it's a new Aaron Sorkin film that's just very, very well done. So I commend you to that. On the book stack, I tend to listen to books. And there's two that I want to mention. One of them is a really uh, an extraordinary story of leadership at a time of crisis, and that's Eric Larson's Splendid and the Vile. It's about Winston Churchill um, and the Blitz in Britain. And it's just it's really wonderful and gives you hope for uh, democratic processes and leadership. And then the second one is a book by Reed Hunt, who was the former chairman of the Federal Communications Commission and was there at the time uh, and close to the people who were involved in the last economic stimulus effort uh, that occurred you know at the moment that barack obama was being elected and then began to govern Uh, this is called a crisis wasted and it's really really interesting if you want to get some insights into what decision making is like in uh, the close advisors to a president
0: Really interesting. I I see history as a theme there, Sue. Yeah,
1: (laughs) it's true. Um, Richard, thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this project. It's been really fun. I have learned so much from the guests. It's uh, been a a fun chance to sit on the hot seat with you and co-host this podcast. I I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, you know, me too, Sue. You know, I've been really excited to be, you know, to be able to drop in uh, for this series. I'm glad to have you, you as my partner in this. Um, thanks so much for joining me. And big thanks also to our guests along the way, Axios reporter, Amy Harder, environmental lawyers, Jody Freeman and Jeff Holmstead, chair of the California Air Resources Board, Mary Nichols, president and CEO of the American Association of Blacks in Energy, Paula Glover. Uh, regardless of what happens with all the big decisions coming up in the next few days, weeks and years, RFF scholars will continue to apply our nonpartisan economic research to help inform good decisions related to energy, the environment and natural resources. Um, Next week, we're back to our regular programming with Daniel Ramey and Kristen Hayes on Resources Radio. Thank you so much for listening.
1: And thanks to our listeners who have voted. Thumbs up for that. You've been listening to Resources Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in.
0: If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes.
1: Resources Radio is a podcast from Resources for the Future. RFF is an independent nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. Learn more about RFF at rff.org.
0: The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the podcast guests and may differ from those of RFF experts, its officers, or its directors. RFF does not take positions on specific legislative proposals.
1: Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Watson with music by Daniel Ramey. Please join Join us next week for for another another episode. episode.